Is it pronounced Tezos or Tezos? We don't really know. But the ICO founder for that organization is being sued for potential securities fraud. And in what seems to be a rerun of previous episodes, Bitcoin hits another all-time high. Finally, how would you like to be compensated on the blockchain for giving your opinion on businesses and products? Well, in this episode, we're going to have a discussion with the founders of Sharp Capital and find out how they intend to bring this opportunity to the marketplace. Are you crypto curious or are you just crypto serious? Either way, we're all about that crypto in episode number 46 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Come in, bonjour, greetings, aloha, hello, Hawaii, and welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel Com, and alongside me is my co-host, Mr. Travis Wright. Hello, Mr. Com. That's how the, that's how you say it in Europe. Hello, Kanichiwa. <laughs> you just tell if you just tell everybody hello, they think that you're from Germany or someplace, and, and until you talk more, then they know that you're just an idiot. They, <laughs> they know you're a complete <laughs> moron. Well, welcome both crypto curious and crypto serious friends to the most entertaining crypto podcast uh, on the whole entire webs. Probably not the deepest, richest, or most accurate, but we are bad, and we make no promises other than we will continue to deliver content to you. Why? Because we can. And because we love you. Also that. You know who else loves you uh, is the sponsor of our show. It's Zilla. There's a app that's coming out soon called the Zilla app. And this is basically an ICO marketplace in the palm of your hand. What's cool here is you can look at the different ICOs. You can give them thumbs up, thumbs down based on what you think. And if you like it, then you're going to actually be able to participate in that ICO in the app. And you, I think you just connect your credit card, click away, and you're in. But you can't get it yet. Mm -mm, nope. You have to pre-register for the beta. They're going to be rolling out the beta. And Travis, the URL for that is zla.io forward slash bad zla.io forward slash bad give it a check it out and zilla loves you we know that they do and we're glad they're our sponsor yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be a pretty cool app and every time i think of zilla i think of vanilla wafers that are called nilla i'm like yeah i, I would like to have some nillas right now that sounds like a good idea <laughs> well, they are not our sponsors though so vanilla wafers if you want to reach out to us <laughs> bad crypto podcast at G. how do you <laughs> How do you tokenize vanilla wafers? They're already the right shape, right? <laughs> vanilla yes, token. Yes. Maybe you eat them after you've been token. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Well, you guys are keep sending us great questions and voicemails and of course we'd love to hear from you don't forget episode number 50 is just around the corner we want to hear from you especially you crypto chicks out there always great to hear your voices give us a call and let us know how you get into crypto or how crypto is changing your life or what your favorite coin is or whether you like me or travis more uh or 
why you've started and continue listening to whatever, you know, whatever you want to say. The phone number to call is 708-885-9030. The 50th episode celebration is going to be a celebration of you and the Bad Cryptopia community. So please call and let us know your thoughts. And speaking of calls... Bad Crypto Voicemail. You have one new message. Hey guys, this is Sarah Doobie. I just love what you're doing so much. I've been listening for a long time, since the beginning, really. I love how I bust out laughing. I've wanted to call you for a while. Anyway, crypto's blow my mind. I've been able to quit my job of ten and a half years corporate and buy a ticket around the world for six and a half months with my little family, my husband, and a three of thirteen, and uh, I'm stoked. To be a part of them is going to change the world. So, cool guys, stay bad. That song was weird that you did. Maybe something a little more badass. Bye, love ya. Stay bad. Uh, hey, Travis and Joel. It's uh, Toshi Nakamoto here. I'm looking to, to sort of diversify my investments and looking at some altcoins. And I'm wondering about Nexus. I've been following it since the Nexus conference. And, you know, Travis has been talking pretty highly of it. But I'm a bit shocked at uh, how, how it's gone down like this. Maybe, I'm just thinking maybe I'll just take a hundred Bitcoin or something and chuck it on there. Um, in between, you know, putting shrimps on the barbie and stuff like that. Yeah, let, let me know. Uh, you know, that's a great question, Mr. Nakamoto. And, and first of all, it is a great honor and pleasure that you have called in. Thank you so much for that. Did not realize that you were Australian or English or South African or a fan of the show or a fan of the show. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. So, so your question about Nexus now, you know, you know, what we're going to say we are not financial advisors. We're not going to tell you which coins to invest in. That's up to you to decide. Now, one thing that was really interesting about them is that they are actively working to create, you know, a blockchain that is quantum ledger proof, right? So you're not going to be able to use quantum computing to hack into it. They're working on a block, a 3D blockchain, they said, when we was at the Nexus Earth conference. Uh, it, it seemed to me like I invested in it because I thought that that was my coin of the month in October, right? And then it went down from like two bucks down to one buck. And now it's sitting around one buck. So now that's up for you to decide if you want to invest in it or not. It seems like an interesting coin in my world, but uh, my world is not your world. Bad Cryptober was bad to Nexus. But, you know, here's the thing. It's like any company, whether your token or your stock price goes up or down, that doesn't change what's happening inside the company. Uh, these guys, you know, at Nexus aren't like, oh, no, our coin is falling a whole bunch. We better stop building these rockets, right? They're they're moving forward with whatever their projects are, just like every company continues to move forward unless they run out of money and, and go out of business. And to my knowledge, these guys are moving forward with their projects. So I have not personally invested in Nexus as of yet, but I'm, uh, you know, it's kind of attractive where it is right now because uh, I, I do think that what they're doing is pretty cool. And, and half of it is I don't understand it. And, you know, I like to invest in people and projects that I don't understand that are smart than me because i feel like they're on to something right that i don't yeah get. yeah and they're actual rocket scientists i mean they're literally flying rockets into space with these cube satellites 
That to me is interesting. Like, wow, they want to create a decentralized internet that's not connected to anything. So a uh, great question, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Thanks for calling in. We yeah. really appreciate it. Satoshi, that. you wrote the darn white paper. Go do your own due diligence and research. Yeah, why are you asking us? Why, know, why are right? you asking us? Seriously, we're bad. So, so uh, Eric asked us this question via email. Bad crypto inbox. You got mail. He says, I'm still catching up on the back catalog. Uh, by the way, I can't tell you how many people either call or write to tell us, Travis, that they're binge listening. We are like a Netflix show in audio format for a lot of people. They're starting at yeah, the Yeah, this beginning. one guy messaged us. Yeah, he was like, I had to drive across country, so I literally listened to every one of your episodes. You're like my road trip buddy. It was like we were in the back seat <laughs> singing songs, you know? We're, we're in the back seat going, life is a highway. <laughs> Bye, 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 bye. So Eric says, I'm catching up on the back catalog, but was wondering what you thought of the ecological impact of these crypto transactions. I just read an article on Vice claiming that each Bitcoin transaction uses as much energy as the average American household uses in a week. We're clearly not in the era of completely renewable energy sources yet. Is it responsible for us to be throwing so much dirty energy at this technology? And is it possible to offset this? Uh, we've got a link to this article on vice.com that is in the show notes for you. And, and what do you think about this, Travis? That's a lot of energy for one Bitcoin transaction. Yeah, that is literally the article on motherboard.vice.com is one Bitcoin transaction now uses as much energy as your house in a week. And so the surge in price is uh, obviously adding to the electricity consumption worldwide. Now, we have actually had a couple of conversations with some ICOs that are doing some interesting stuff with renewable energy. And, you know, we, we talked to Power Ledger. And then uh, who's the other one that we had recently talked uh, to? We Power Network, which we is Power. actually, yeah, yeah. it's actually, that's tomorrow's show. So uh, even though we've already recorded it, um, it's past for us. It's future for our listeners. They're going to hear about We Power in the ICO spotlight that follows this episode. So and that, that was a great episode as well. So they're saying that. Which hasn't oh, been released yet. <laughs> that hasn't been released yet. The f it's in the future. But yeah, so it would be it would be profitable for Bitcoin miners to burn through over 24 terawatt hours of electricity annually as they compete to solve the increasingly difficult cryptographic puzzles to mine more Bitcoins. That's as much as Nigeria uses in a year. And uh, here, that we, is can, we can break amazing. this down to homes here, Travis. This article states, and again, you know, we don't know if this is real news or fake news. This is the article that is in front of us and whether or not they've interpreted the data properly. This is why you got to, you know, go check sources because we don't know. But what they're saying here is at a minimum, worldwide Bitcoin mining could power the daily needs of 821,940 average American homes. And of course, they, in this article, they tie it into carbon emissions problems. And not only are we not financial advisors, but we are not climatologists either. Uh, you'll need to go see a, a climatologist advisor to uh, properly determine the amount of carbon credits uh, that you get for uh, banking on Bitcoin. Yeah, so what's, what's happening every single day, if you do the math, there's 24 hours in a day, right? And every 10 minutes, there's a new Bitcoin reward. And right now, since it's halved twice, 
you know, every 10 minutes, 12.5 Bitcoin gets created. So that's essentially 1,800 uh, new Bitcoins are created every single day. And the amount of power that it takes to mine those Bitcoins could power 820,000 American homes. That's that's a crazy amount to me. It seems so ridiculous. That's why, uh, you know, we really do need more renewable energy sources. And there's a lot of people who are mining using hydroelectric power. They're using solar. They're using wind. And so as, you know, technology gets stronger and gets better, the cost goes down over time. And then the equipment gets more sophisticated that's used to mine. So, I mean, there's a lot of power that's going to be used. So there are some smart people out there who are working on solutions for this, and one of them is in a, in a show that's coming out in, uh, next. You said solar. There's actually a, an article that I found that I, I saved bandwidth and search time. You know, I went green on the internet and saved people from having to Google this. I Googled it for you. So we saved so everybody. friendly of you, Mr. Joel Collins. Yeah, so thoughtful. We saved everybody one click. Uh, and now it, it's just one click to the article, which is in our show notes from greentechmedia.com. Solar powered Bitcoin mining could be a very profitable business model. And in this article, they lay out the case and the economics for using solar to mine. And we're not going to go into it here. If that interests you, you can go ahead and check that out. Uh, why? Because we got to get to the news because it's big. All right. So first off in the news. Uh, $200 billion market cap for cryptocurrency. Goodness gracious. Not only that, Joel, but there was also $10 billion worth of trading in one day. That is astronomical. Bitcoin is pushing to 7,500. And honestly, you know, when it hit 6,000, I thought for sure, okay, there's going to be a pullback now. Now, even though I thought that for sure, I didn't sell mine. Why? Because I'm a hodler. I'm in this for the long term. I'm not going to try to time the market. And I'm okay with it going down because the track record, the observations I make from looking at the chart is that it's at an all-time high and it always comes back. And so I don't want to get into the stress of going, okay, do I sell now? Oh, wait, it's still going up. Wait, I sold too soon. Or watching it go down and go, oh, is it at the bottom? Do I buy it? You know what? I'm just chill and I'm, I'm hanging in there. The $10 billion day of trading, I think in my personal opinion, that this is just beginning. And, and you can see the number of people that are coming to crypto by Coinbase releasing their numbers. Uh, if I was to ask the good listeners of Bad Cryptopia, how many users do you think Coinbase added in 24 hours? What kind of guesses do you think, you know, the regular person would say? Probably not as many as actually happened. Probably some people might say more. Some people might say less, but maybe 10,000, 15, 20,000. I don't know. Is what it would seem like that would make sense. But when you realize Coinbase, it's an exchange that uh, nearly 12 million users across 32 countries use to buy their crypto. That's where I normally go to buy my crypto first before I, before I send it off somewhere. Yeah. So how many new users were added in the past 24 hours? One hundred thousand one hundred thousand now imagine if each one of those hundred thousand were trying to buy a bitcoin 
right? And now they're not all going to buy a Bitcoin. That's that's expensive, seven thousand plus, right? But maybe they buy a tenth of a Bitcoin or whatever. So here's what's happening. Oh, Satoshi. Why is yeah? Why is the price going up? Well, because a thousand, a ten, what is it? A hundred thousand people a day are are getting on Coinbase and trying to buy crypto. So they're adding money into the space, right? We knew that about a month ago we were sitting at about one hundred and thirty billion, one hundred and fifty billion market cap. Now it's two hundred billion. So that means fifty billion additional dollars have come into crypto. And so the more money that comes in, the more prices, the more prices are going to go up. In theory, right? That's a, that's economic. That is the theory. And, you know, Coinbase in 32 countries, pff, what is that? I mean, the Bad Crypto Podcast is now heard in 164 countries. Oh! Snap! Come on, Coinbase. Catch up with your numbers. Although we're, yeah, yeah. we're not getting 100,000 listeners in a day. Although I, I do see that day coming because all of these people getting into crypto need to have some semi-reliable information and they need to laugh. And so that's why we're here. That is true. And if you are looking to get into crypto, you've not made that plunge into the cryptocurrency world yet. You've been listening to our show, waiting for the right time. Well, if you go to badco.in forward slash Coinbase, then you would be able to, you know, get get yourself an account there on Coinbase. And once you purchase your first $100 of crypto, then they will give you $10 free of crypto, as well as they'll give us $10 free of crypto. So that's a win-win-win. So much the wins. Are you tired of winning yet? Yeah. So badco.in forward slash Coinbase is where you want to go to take advantage of that. And many of you are, and you're getting free crypto, and we like it when we get it as well. So I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. And anybody who has invested in crypto in these last three months of our show is probably pretty happy unless they sold at the high or unless they sold at the lows and bought at the highs. Other than that, if you were hodling, you made some pretty substantial coin. One more Coinbase story. The uh, Coinbase has their own digital asset exchange. It's called GDAX. And you picked up on this story here, which I have not had much time to look at, but I think you probably know what it's all about. Yeah. So what they're doing is they have basically set out their criteria for token listings on GDAX. So, right, you know, Coinbase, you can buy Bitcoin, you can buy Ethereum, and you can buy Litecoin. But there are a whole bunch of other tokens. There are more than 1,100 digital currencies listed on various exchanges. And so what they're doing is creating this framework uh, that is not necessarily a definitive methodology or investment advice, advice, but as the technology and use cases and regulatory environments evolve, their framework will evolve, and they are looking to find the cream of the crop, the best uh, tokens to list on their exchange. They only want to work with those. And so they have a, a methodology in place now to uh, begin porting some of those uh, crypto tokens into their GDAX exchange. Well, there you have it. So earlier this year, there was an ICO for a new blockchain initiative called Tezos. Or wait, what did you call it? Tezos? Uh, Tezos. <laughs> I like to call it different words every time, Mr. Joker. Well, the this was a crowdfunding campaign that I don't think was open to U.S. citizens, but their ICOs over, and the verbiage on their website says Tezos is a secure, future-proof smart contract system. As a smart contract platform, Tezos allows you to code just about anything from a lottery to an insurance policy to a crowdfunding agreement and put it on the blockchain. Well, there is trouble in Tezosville. They 
they raised a lot of money. I mean, I think a lot. They raised two hundred and thirty-two million, which was a record at that time, and it still might be a record. I'm not sure, but there is now a potential class action suit for securities fraud. Do you understand what's going on there? There's some crazy stuffs going down in the Cite. Yeah, and the tokens have yet to be released. So they basically got $232 million in this token sale and have not released any of the tokens. So none of these tokens are available on any exchanges for anybody to trade or get out of, right? And so now there's they're alleging that they violated some U.S. securities laws through their token sale. And so the proceeds of their token sale, that $232 million, are part of this dispute. Very, very interesting to pay attention to this to see what, what happens. I mean, who knows where this is going to go. Yeah, there's, there's a dispute between the founders who are Kathleen and Arthur Brightman and Johan Givers or Givers. I don't know if it's a hard G or a soft G, but... There you go. Who is the head of the Tezos Foundation? It's a nonprofit that was created to support and promote the development of the project. And the Brightmans are saying that Givers is self-dealing and Givers is saying that the Brightmans are seeking to do character assassination and try to control the business. So you've got this internal power struggle that is taking place at this organization and investors are going, wait a second. You know, we gave you $232 million for your tokens, and you guys are having a family squabble. So yeah, we got nothing. We got nothing. So that's what's interesting about this is that, you know, typically when a company is worth $232 million, they actually have a product. They actually have a system in place. They have company, you know, and they have a, a, lots of employees, right? Well, that's one thing that's kind of interesting about these ICOs is when the, when the, when we bust out an ICO and you give this small team $232 million, now all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, we have $232 million. What, so we just like buy an island in the Philippines and just disappear? Or what? There's no, there's no, I mean, they're not even have all their technology built yet. That's like, there's a, it's, it's interesting when you just give somebody that amount of money or they raise that much money without having their full business model in place. And now here you go. Uh, the, the founders of the company weren't all that tight. They're having a little internal spat. Everybody who put in money is uh, is going to be part of the divorce. Yeah, well, we don't know how it's going to play out yet, right? That it, it could end up happily ever after, which is what everybody hopes for those that invested. But you you said something about you know getting an island, going invisible, and getting an island in the Philippines. If I'm going to get an island in the Philippines, I want it to be an invisible island, like you know my fortress of solitude. Like what? Like Wonder Woman's plane, like you know? the Wonder Woman one, yeah. Right. Yeah. I want. I don't know. I don't know how you get one of those, but uh, if you figure that out, let let us know because that sounds pretty interesting. If you have enough Bitcoin, you'd think that uh, that you can make that happen. Okay. One last story before we move to our feature, and this one on Cointelegraph.com, and it's about the crypto shuffle Trojan and what you need to watch out for because they're saying that even with private wallets. Your coins aren't safe. What the heck? Here's what's happening, right? So we've had some discussions about how hacks are occurring. But this one right here, what happens is they're stealing money right from the noses of the users by replacing wallet addresses on a user's clipboard as they copy and paste wallet data for transfers. And so People it are says keeping that no crypto in their noses? Yeah, yeah. Do not keep crypto in your noses. It's not good especially if you have more than one nose. No, actually, no wallet is safe because the Trojan, this little virus, what it's doing 
is it's actually uh, taking over the clipboard function on your computer. So the only way to really combat it is whenever you are copying and pasting the user or the the address of the crypto uh, that you're going to be sending, you need to take a look at it and make sure that it is the exact one that you just copied. Right. Always look at the first few digits and the last few digits. Double check it to make sure that they're correct before you hit send, because a lot of times people are copying one. They're pasting one and it's being switched over to uh, the hackers one. And then basically the money that they are sending is not going to their in- intended destination, but to some hackerification. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's difficult to check every character. And like Travis said, usually if you check the first three digits and the last three alphanumerics, odds are you're okay. If you really want to be careful, go ahead and check the whole thing. But the odds of a hacker having the exact same first three and last three uh, and replacing it on your clipboard, they have to be astronomical uh, to get there. So just the moral of the story is be careful with your crypto. There's people out there that want to steal from you. And with that, let's go to today's feature story. As always, Travis and I are into full transparency. We want you guys to know very clearly uh, that we are not financial advisors. And of course, we always have our disclaimers in the show and at the end of the show and on the website and all the places that you should never invest in crypto without first doing your own due diligence and connecting with a financial advisor that can help you decide what to do with your monies because cryptocurrency is a very risky investment. It could go to Well, zero. It can't go to less than zero, but it can definitely go to zero. And also in full transparency, we let you know when we are being compensated and paid for sponsored segments. Of course, our ICO spotlight shows are those sponsored shows, but occasionally we'll find a company that we think is interesting that we put into a feature segment. And today we're going to be interviewing the guys from Sharp Capital. There is no recommendation attached to the purchase or non-purchase of the token that is mentioned in this. We're just bringing you information and maybe you'll uh, get entertained along the way and learn a little something as well. So Travis, why don't you kick us to today's featured interview? Let's do it. Kick it! Travis, I really like when I get paid for my opinion. I want more people to come at me and throw money or crypto at me just for my opinion because there's no shortage of those and i know you're not opinionated at all that's right i think people would rather pay me to stop sharing my opinions (laughs) perhaps well (laughs) this uh we have with us uh, coming to us from Copenhagen today, two gentlemen that are the co-founders of a new company uh, that is backing an ICO that promises to pay people in Ether for their opinion in a very specific niche in equity markets and in blockchain assets. Their names are Lewis Barber and James Butler. Again, they're with Sharp.Capital. And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, fellas. How you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. How are you guys? We are well, and uh, so I kind of laid out just a bird's eye view of what it is you guys do, but why don't you go ahead and give us a little more details about what Sharp Capital is? Sure. So the fundamental problem um, we're looking to solve is hedge funds and investment banks and so on, they attempt to capture not only what markets are doing at an economic level, but they really need to capture the market sentiment. And what I mean by that is 
how do people feel and respond on an emotional level when they're making investment decisions? And the way they do that is to develop these algorithms that analyze material that's out there through tweets and in social media and traditional media. And they look for positive words that appear nearby the names of stocks. And they call that positive sentiment. Negative words are negative sentiment. And the main problem with this is the English language and language generally is very fluid. And it's very hard to know what, if there's a negation there, what the negation applies to and so on. So it's really a very messy and unreliable way to approach this. So hedge funds and so on, they they pay for this um, data from providers like Shop Capital who perform these analyses. But it's not a very good metric. So we thought, why don't we just pay people directly to tell us how they respond from to data that we show them. And then we share the profits from selling that data to the hedge funds with the participants of the platform. Interesting. So who are, are your main, you know, clients then who, who are the ones that are going to use your app? So you're working, you're, you're helping distill sentiment, I guess that's, that's happening within capital markets, hedge funds you're, you're, you're mentioning. So is this tool, the platform that you're building, is this for anyone who is interested in financial markets, including cryptocurrency? Who exactly are you targeting? There are two sides to what we're building. I mean, fundamentally, it's an ecosystem in which, you know, both sides of the market will be satisfied. So by that, I mean, on the one side of the market, you've got the people who give you that sentiment and you, you pay those people in proportion to the quality of sentiment that they provide. And, and they, that could be everyday people who are interested in financial markets, either equities or blockchain assets. And they want to, you know, a, a way in which they can earn an income for sharing, sharing that data with, with the world. So that's one side who we would appeal to. The other side is institutional investors who are interested in that data um, and who will pay a decent amount of money for that data because that data is valuable to them. Um, and it comes back to what James was saying a minute ago about how traditional ways of, of measuring this sentiment are not particularly, n- not optimal because of the complexities of language. So what we're not doing is looking at, you know, text and tweets and social media data and trying to infer sentiment from that. We're controlling the data that's presented to users in our app and on our web platform so that they, we can measure their response to that data. So they'll see news articles, maybe some data about recent performance of the assets. And then, you know, we ask them to tell us how they feel, whether their sentiment towards that's positive or negative. And we gauge an understanding of how they respond and the process that their, their brain goes through when they see that data. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. As I'm looking at your website, by the way, if you're listening, you want to follow along. The website is sharp dot capital and sharp is spelled with an e s h a r p e dot capital c a p i t a l and i see you've kind of got presented front and center is this application which looks elegant and uh, should be easy enough to use and in your demo it's showing uh, the various positions that uh, that this particular fund is in i see apple tesla amazon so i'm a user how simple is this for me to get involved and do this? What am I presented with? And walk me through that process. Yeah, so I think like, so typically what you'd see is we, we use uh, the, the phrase like, think of it like Tinder for stocks or Tinder for financial markets. Are we swiping left and right? Maybe we will swipe left and right, probably <laughs> on the mobile app. 
Um, but this, this is really kind of sums up quite nicely what we want to achieve. We don't want people to go and do really detailed research and analysis on, on financial markets. It's not tar- targeted necessarily at experts, but rather we want to gauge the response of the masses to everyday information, qualitative information, news articles and that type of stuff that you can't necessarily measure with mathematical modeling and quantitative modeling. Um, so, so in other words, just to clarify there, you might present a story about something that Facebook is doing and then you'll ask an opinion, uh, multiple choice, fill in the blank. How does that operate? It's literally, I mean, the swiping analogy is a great, is, is a good one. It, it's, it's a yes or no decision. It, it's, it's buy or sell. You know? And they're not buying or selling, but they're just making that recommendation based on, the way that their brain processes the information. I have a follow-up question then on that, right? Because one of the whole reasons that that Joel and I, you know, started doing this, you know, it being in the blockchain space is that we were doing analysis on fake news. And we were like trying to, you know, look into solutions to figure out how to solve that. Now, what happens if you are using news that might that might have a narrative bias to it? And that news right there that you're showcasing, you're, you know, offering it as being factual. But what if, I mean, you're, you're, you're sending CNBC, The Guardian, right? You're, you're using some sites that may have a bias of some sort. How does that impact any of the, uh, the voting or the sentiment that may populate? Because if, if an article is maybe, because a lot of times you can get publicity placed anywhere, right? That can negative or positively impact the stocks, is there a way that you guys are, you know, doing analysis on these news articles for uh, validation or validity? That's a really good question, actually, and very pertinent, especially with this um, sort of uproar about fake news recently. Uh, so there are really sort of two parts to touch on there. The first is, if it is fake news, then we still need to gauge response to that because people that read the news and make investment decisions based on that news will make investment decisions based on fake news, too. So we want to essentially replicate what investors see when they're reading the Financial Times or any other publication and make decisions based on that. So in terms of validation, the more important thing is that we are using news sources that the market itself uses when making decisions. The other part to that is not every user will see the same set of stories. We will essentially bundle different packages of stories to different users, and then we can effectively measure how users respond differently to certain types of article. And then we can apply machine learning algorithms on the back end of the software and say, okay, so how come this bunch of users that saw stories X, Y, and Z would turn to be very optimistic about the asset and this bunch of users were very pessimistic? What is it about the article? And then we can start to understand how the way the articles themselves are framed drive the decision making. James, I see that you are a research scientist at Oxford and you're a mathematical modeling expert. So in in the simplest terms that you can, so even Travis and I can understand, explain the the machine learning modeling and and what you're doing to pull together this data that's going to be reliable. Okay, sure. There are a lot of different elements to this. Um, We're taking lots of different algorithms and approaches and working to consolidate them, so I can't possibly touch on them all. I'll talk about um, one that I think is particularly exciting. Uh, So this is called contextual frame analysis. Uh, I touched on that lightly in my last answer. And effectively, what this does is look at how a news article primes a user to make a decision, um, probably unintentionally. So 
there was this great study that showed that when a user reads a news article, uh, so uh, let me just sort of frame the study, there was uh, two groups of people and they were shown an identical news article. There was only a one word difference. It was about a fictional crime wave and users read this article and then half of the group sort of voted that the perpetrators of the crime should be punished through punitive measures and the other half predominantly voted to go for correctional measures. And the only difference was one of the articles used the word beast to refer to the criminals and the other one used the word virus. When people saw the word virus, they wanted to correct it. So it sort of primed them at a subconscious level to want to cure it, you know, like with antiviral therapies, they, they saw it as something to be fixed. When the word beast was used, they saw it as something to be punished. So by showing users these different news articles, um, we can then apply very sort of standard machine learning algorithms to identify what the differences are in these news articles that are driving these emotional triggers, if you want, these contextual frames that the that's, that linguist would call them that prime users to make decisions. So in terms of the actual sort of machine learning algorithms, it's predominantly based on, I mean, most people will call them artificial neural networks. I don't like that term because the brain is far more complicated than um, a neuron firing and triggering another neuron. There are lots of other cells and chemicals involved in this decision-making processes. So I refer to them as data flow graphs. But essentially, it's just a large network of data flowing through the graph, and you can weight it according to lots of different stimuli, such as all these different news articles. You're doing crowdsourced asset sentiment, and it's all powered by essentially your mobile app, right? Now, is there a reason? And desktop, I think, also. Oh, and your desktop as well. Okay, so you have a desktop app and a mobile app. Now, was there any reason, or what was your specific methodology for not including uh, as an additional layer some of the social sentiment that might be out there on Twitter or Reddit or any of those other sites, or is that something that's on the roadmap for future? Yeah, I would say that that's definitely something that we'd like to include in the future. One of the first things that we looked at was the contextual frame around news, gauging how news drives people's sentiment. But ultimately, we would want to include all of the channels that people use to inform their decision making. Twitter's a fantastic one, because there's some really, you know, if we could reduce that to a handful of pages with a large amount of followers and, and, and have a relatively small number of, of sources where a lot of people go to get data that informs that decision making. And, and one of the key things as well that, that we're looking to do is, as James alluded to in, in the answer before about the machine learning, is actually alter that contextual frame and, and build algorithms that learn how people respond to different types of contextual frames and see how that drives prices of assets and, and learn how, how that affects decisions that people make. It's a valid use of blockchain technology because you have an opportunity to document the wisdom of crowds or the lack of the wisdom of crowds, whatever it might be at that moment, at least you're able to gauge effectively. So since this is a blockchain project, explain to us what your token is that you're offering and how it works as a utility within the app. Okay, yeah, that's a really good point that we haven't discussed yet, um, is is how blockchain comes into it. So one of the key things that we wanted to do uh, when when designing this this model in which people earn payments for their opinions is come up with a way in which they could be incentivized to strive to provide the most accurate sentiment. So whilst we're measuring their emotional response to assets, we don't want them to sort of be flippantly just 
randomly swiping. We want them to be thinking about how they genuinely feel and then just sort of giving us that opinion rather than, than random data. And the way we decided it would be best to do that is through a blockchain-based implementation in which users hold tokens as an indication of the confidence they have in their opinion. So you can't just come along and give your opinion and earn ether. You're required to hold a stake in the ecosystem, and that stake is your share of the total amount of tokens. Um, and then the more that users hold, obviously, the more confidence we can infer in, in that data because they're prepared to hold a larger stake behind it rather than use those funds to do something else. And it's really through doing that um, and then also using blockchain technology to maintain an immutable record of their reputation that we're able to incentivize people to always think about the information they're providing um, and and maximize the quality of that data. So in, in a sense, this becomes a reputation grading system of some sort, right? So here's here's your opinions over time. Here's how well they have you know, here's how accurate they are, or here's how well they've been received. And the higher their uh, reputation and the more token that they hold, the more ether they can earn per opinion. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. So there are three limbs to how this works. There's the um, proof of stake, or I shouldn't say proof of lossless stake, because you don't actually gamble with these tokens, you can't lose them. There's the proof of reputation, which is a measure of the user's historical accuracy. So that tells us how much their sentiment tends to be in alignment with the market at large. And finally, there's proof of work, which tells us how engaged the user has been with the platform. And so these sort of proofs together all work to incentivize people to provide their actual opinions, not to use bots to try and game the system, just to burn ether for a robot swiping or just to do it very quickly, like always say yes or always say um, sell type thing. So it's really the confluence of these three, three proofs that, it's only really possible through the blockchain that allows us to mm-hmm. this type of business model. Travis, under this model, I would bank because my opinion is always correct. Well, it's it's often correct. Well, it's sometimes <laughs> correct. Okay, every right. now and then, my opinion is, okay, I'm never right. But you know what? I, I still think it would be fun to play with something like this. Guys, explain to us the ICO itself. Uh, who can participate? How can they participate? And specifically, how many tokens do people get when they send uh, an Ether for this? Sure, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so there are some specific ex- exclusions on on the website. For example, uh, the sale is open to accredited investors in the States and uh, citizens of China are excluded along with some embargoed countries. But but yeah, the, the rate uh, is, is 2,000 of our tokens for each ether and yeah we're running our pre-sale from from monday uh, the 6th of november that runs for seven days um and then immediately after that we have the main sale in which uh, the minimum is is only a hundred dollars um, and then that will run and until the 11th of december so for 28 days and in the pre-sale we have some discounts between 10 and 30 percent depending on the amount contributed with the minimum contribution being uh 10,000 us dollars so this sounds really fascinating. This is a, uh, you know, a, a financial sentiment platform to gain insight based on the users of the platform on what they think about certain, uh, you know, assets that are available for trade based on news. So it's, it's a really interesting model that you guys have. So and you guys' website is sharp.capital. And again, that's S-H-A-R-P-E dot 
capital. And uh, where are some other places online that uh, that folks can find out about you guys? I would encourage anyone that wants to reach out to myself or Lewis or anyone else in the team to join our Telegram. We're very engaged with the community in there. Uh, we also have a Medium blog that you can access from our website and we post all of our updates on there as well. Uh, we don't use Slack. Uh, we don't think it's appropriate for a public channel because there are various security risks associated with that. But all of our contact information is at the bottom of our website and the homepage. So I would just encourage users to check it out. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. And uh, everybody, again, it's sharp.capital. And uh, these guys are promising to help you get paid to give your opinion on things that are happening in the business and blockchain world. So if that's interesting to you, check it out. Again, uh, we've had Lewis Barber and James Butler from Sharp Capital, the CEO and the COO. Thanks, guys, and good luck with your ICO. Thanks for having, thanks for having us, Grace. Thank you very much. I would be interested to get my hands on that application to try that out because I really do want to get paid for my opinion. And I hope that these guys are able to make it succeed because it sounds like a really interesting idea. Well, I know we, we like to spread our opinions all over the interwebs. And you know what? If if you can get value from your opinion, then uh, that's kind of a cool thing. I like how they are going to be using these opinions to offer sentiment on some of these financial products or stocks or cryptocurrencies that is really interesting to me and so uh, i think there's there's some cool value to that that i want to at least check out for sure and we want to offer our sentiment to you our listeners and travis is going to sing you a love song right now i love you so much (laughs) you guys are so awesome oh my gosh that was bad and a reminder to us all to stay bad The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. She's your queen to be (laughs) free from infection.